Good tidings, everyone. This is Michael Gobier from the Hey! It's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 227, Die Hard Movie Review. Hey, Chris McBrien here, along with Derek Myers, and this is, of course, Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, we recently wrapped up our pop culture fantasy draft for the year 1988. And we're going to reveal the winner of that draft shortly. And I nominated a movie from that year. I went with the Bruce Willis action film Die Hard. So we're going to be reviewing that. And then Derek's going to put me through my paces when we have some fun with Caveman. But before we get to all that, um, one thing I wanted to mention just at the top there, the promo was for the Hey, It's Enrico Palazzo podcast. And that was with our good buddies, Michael Govier and Chris Deary. And I wanted to mention last week we were doing quotes when yeah. we did when we did uh, fun with Caveman. And I mentioned, you know, the, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. And I forgot to mention their podcast when I did that. So I want to give yeah. those guys a shout out because we like them. They're good friends what, of ours. That's funny because I, I literally just listened to our show from last week this morning. And again, when that question came up, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. I'm like, I can't remember what movie that's from. It's from The Naked Gun. And then we had the little laugh about mm. it. And then when you just played that intro, I'm like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense now. Yeah, so context so, is king. I know. I forgot to mention them last week, so I wanted to rectify that. But uh, anyway, like I said, we've got a lot to get to this week. But Derek, have you been able to partake in any pop culture this oh, week? Oh, man. Talk about a loaded question. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a lot of stuff to go through. I got a okay. couple of movies. I got a couple of factoids. I got a documentary. I, mm. I've got some... I've got a bunch of stuff, so let me just jump right into it. I have been watching a bunch of stand-up comedians lately, and I, I've mentioned this on the show a few times in the past. Yes. Like I like I like stand-up comedians. I like when they, whenever I see a new special drop from a stand-up comic, even if it's someone maybe I don't really care for, or I don't know, I always give them a chance. Some are good, some are terrible. I've I've actually in the last couple of weeks gone back and rewatched some of my favorites uh, from some of my favorite stand-up comedians, some of their specials. And one of the ones that I watched in the last couple of weeks, and I actually forgot to mention it last week, was um, a stand-up special by Gerard Carmichael. It came out, geez, a couple of months ago. It's been at least two months now. It, I want to say it was on HBO uh, Crave here in Canada. Uh, and it, the special is called Rathaniel. And dropped on HBO and then he hosted Saturday Night Live like that week. Like I think the special dropped on like a Tuesday and then the Saturday night he was on SNL. And it was just sort of like this explosion of people who didn't know who he was suddenly discovered him all at once. And he's fantastic. And I didn't really know much about him prior to that. I watched him on SNL. He did a great job. His monologue was great. He did a great performance. But I didn't have a chance to catch the stand-up special until just the last couple of weeks. It showed up as a, hey, you might also like. And it was really good. It was – it's not your typical stand-up special where you have a comedian just telling jokes in front of a microphone. He – it was more like um, 
he was he literally sat down on the stage in like what looked like like a restaurant or or a, like a like the guests were all at tables and chairs, not just like a stadium, very small, intimate venue. And he was just telling stories about his life. But there was a lot of humor in it. And it was really good. It's not it's not your typical stand up special and it's not a laugh a minute. But there's a lot of payoff. And like in my mind, a lot of good stand-up comics, they'll do their jokes and they'll set things up. And then towards the end of their show, they'll often reference back to those things at the beginning and you'll just have that like payoff. And and he did a really good job of 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 landing the payoff. So if you've if you know Gerard Carmichael, you haven't had a chance to watch this one, check it out. If you really have no idea who I'm talking about. Give it a chance. Like, give it 10 or 15 minutes. If, if you're not digging it, then, you know, it's not for you. But it, it got very strong reviews, and uh, I, I'm going to recommend it highly. It's, it's uh, called – the special is called Nathaniel Gerard Carmichael is the comic. So that was my first one. Okay. Uh, I also watched a bunch of bad stand-up comics. I'm not even going to go down that list. But let me tell you, there's at least three or four comics I started watching their stuff this week, and pff, 10 minutes in, next. So they're not all winners, folks. All right. That would be like uh, me if I did stand up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, so I don't know if I give you 10 minutes, but <laughs> we'll, we'll try. Um, so I've mentioned on this podcast many times before, one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to, of course, outside of our show is one called the rewatchables. It's on the ringer podcast network with Bill Simmons and they pick a movie they like and they gush about why it's rewatchable and they have all their fun categories they do. And I would say, 19 times out of 20, I've seen the movie they're talking about and I just jump right into the podcast. But they did one a few weeks ago on the movie School Ties with Brendan Fraser, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Chris O'Donnell. I've never seen School Wait, Ties. Wait, did, did you say Matt Damon was in it? I did. Matt Damon. Nice. That's the one. Yeah. And I've never seen School Ties, so I downloaded the episode, but I didn't listen to it because, I mean, if you've never seen the movie, why would you listen to a review of it? And it just so happened that it showed up on my 80s movies channel or 90s movies channel. I guess it's from the 90s, 90s movies channel like three days ago. So, of course, I had to watch it. And then I had a chance to finally start listening to the rewatchables. But I did finally watch it. Have you ever seen School Ties, Chris? It's no. From the mid 90s. Nope. OK, so it's got this ensemble of male performers in their early 20s in the 90s that many of them have gone on to have phenomenal careers. It happened, it happened after 1989. I did Yes, watch it. it totally did. Yeah. Um, it actually takes place in the 50s, mm -hmm. and the premise is that Brendan Fraser's character uh, is recruited to go to this prep school because he's a football quarterback who's who's really good. So for his last year of high school, this this prep school in New England brings him out to, to give him a full scholarship so that he can help them win the championship. It turns out that he plays a character who is Jewish, even though Brendan Fraser, the actor, is not Jewish, which seems kind of weird, but he is brought in. And then there's a lot – the story is all about like what happens when his his classmates find out he's Jewish. There's a lot of anti-Semitism going on and just how does he deal with it and how is it handled in the school and the prejudice. Um, and it's obviously like sort of one of these sort of coming-of-age stories as well. Uh, it's very well done. It was – Pretty decent. I'm, I'm really surprised I never had a chance to watch it before now. But, uh, you know, it, it was good. And and for me, not only did I get to watch this movie I'd never seen and enjoy this movie I'd never seen, but then I got to go and listen to this Rewatchables podcast after. So it was like getting, you know, icing on top of the cake afterwards. So I watched School Ties. It was pretty decent. Then I had a chance to watch a documentary. For 40 days and 40 nights, watch documentaries. 
likes to learn about the world is Derek's Documentaries. Derek's Documentaries. Or do share, please. So on Netflix in the last couple of weeks, a documentary has dropped. And and the title that they're showing, at least in Canada, is called Trainwreck Woodstock 99. But when Mm. I looked it up, apparently it also has another name, depending on where you watch it. It's also called Cluster Woodstock 99. Ooh, wow. You don't swear very often. Well, hey, I'm just reading the title. You can Mm, bleep that out. Yeah. Um, It's three one-hour episodes, and it's a documentary where they basically talk about the, the ups and downs of the Woodstock 99 festival. I knew there were some problems. I knew there was some violence that happened at this mm-hmm. festival. Yeah. But I, I, honestly, the, there was a lot of problems with the 94 Woodstock and with the 99 Woodstock. And in my mind, they sort of both. There was one in together. 94, too. I just remember the 91. Yeah. Nine one. No, there was a 94 one. A that friend had of mine went problems. to the 99 one. And he told me all about it. It was like yeah. crazy. It was crazy bananas. Yeah. So the documentary is three hours and pretty much it covers each episode covers one day of the three day festival. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, spoiler, not spoiler. Things went pretty badly towards mm-hmm. the end. And it, it was there was the, the documentary has a lot of good footage. I think by then in 99, I don't think people had cell phone cameras, but there was a lot of uh handheld cameras and there was a lot of press coverage i think with all of the problems that had happened five years earlier in 94 the powers that be that had access to uh video cameras realized we should record this because if things repeat themselves we want to be johnny on the spot and oh my god were they ever johnny on the spot so um it's not bad i mean it's it, it it's decent enough as a documentary if you're interested in in this kind of thing sure give it a look it goes exactly where you expect it to go. Honestly, I didn't know anything about what really happened. So it was all sort of a mystery of where it was going. Uh, I knew there were problems, but that was about it. Uh, if you're interested in watching a documentary about a music festival that goes wrong, I would recommend watching the documentary about the fire festival. It is way more interesting. And it, I think it runs just under two hours. It's, it's not a multiple episode thing, but this one was okay. I would say probably like a B minus, like it's good. Mm-hmm. But um, but there were no surprises when when things started going downhill, they went exactly where you expected them to go. So so that was my documentary. Uh, a couple other quick things, Chris, on a couple of our episodes in the past, we have talked about things like what TV show would you like to see rebooted or what TV show do you wish they did one more season of? Yes, I think those were both that. both yes. of those were episodes we'd done. And yes. I think on both of those episodes, I had brought up the show Quantum Leap. I would have I said I would like to see a reboot or I would like to see one more season of the old Quantum Leap. Did you get your wish? This week, yeah, oh they God. have rebooted Quantum Leap, rebooted slash sequel to Quantum Leap starting this September, September 19th on NBC. We are getting a reboot of Quantum Leap. And oh. the lead is an Asian actor named Raymond Lee. Uh, Ernie Hudson also has a, a supporting role and his oh, character is, is actually Ghostbusters. A char- yeah. And his going character berserk. Yeah. is a character who appeared in the original series in a couple of episodes. So it's kind of like a Wrath of Khan thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. yes and no. It's like, I think the idea is it's supposed to take place in the same world and the same continuity as the original show. Okay. How much they're going to reference the original show, I have no idea. But the... 
I, I now you know me. I'm a not a big trailer guy, but when I saw this, I thought I have to see a trailer just so I can understand where they're going. So there's like a 60 second trailer that was released not too long ago, and it looks like the intent of this show is to have their time traveler basically not go any older or any earlier than the previous show, which took place in the early 90s. So the snippets they show in the trailer are all things that happened in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s. So, I mean, if the show takes place in 2022 and the time traveler can go back to, say, early 90s, that's still upwards of 30 years of interaction. And that's pretty much how the first show worked. So I am optimistic about where this may go. And I have my fingers crossed and I'm really hoping that it's good but we'll find out on september 19th when it airs anyway very last thing i want to say before we move on my good friend paul Seung hung lee uh who was in kim's convenience he's appeared in the mandalorian and uh book of boba fett uh he's recently uh been cast to appear in the new uh series coming up of um uh, avatar the last airbender uh paulie it was his birthday yesterday so and maybe his I, most important role he was in your wedding of course he was. He was uh, stood up in my wedding. I stood up in his wedding. We've been friends for a very long time. Our wives work together. Polly, it was his birthday yesterday. I want to say happy birthday, my friend. Uh, many, many more and uh, best wishes to you. So I just I'd be remiss if I didn't give Polly a shout out. Oh, let's give him the good one. Happy birthday. Right? Happy birthday, Polly. He's a good guy. I, lo- I love him in uh, Kim's Convenience. God, he's good. He's so a good great. actor. I like him. All right. So, Chris, I had yeah. a lot going on this week. What'd you have going on this week? You always have a lot of time to do lots of things. I don't always have a lot of t- time to do things. Uh, but one thing, you're going to be so proud of me. I was able to take in a new TV show. Now, I've mentioned before, my wife and I have been looking for a, a new TV show to binge watch, you know. And yep. my youngest son saw these advertisements for like a dinosaur series on Apple Plus. Now, we don't have a subscription to Apple Plus, but my son just kept bugging us. He was like, we, I really want to watch this dinosaur show. So, okay, I caved in and I subscribed. And we watched a grand total of one dinosaur show <laughs> before, before he was like, okay, I'm done with this. It was okay. It was like, it was basically they used CGI to create dinosaurs and then Richard Attenborough narrates it. It's almost like it, like if it was it was a real documentary. You know? Oh, okay. I thought you meant it was going to be like something like that old dinosaurs cartoon where it was oh, like a, no. a, a drama where the characters no. were all dinosaurs that talked. No, it's no, not it was, that. It was like a it was like a documentary, and then they like I say they have these dinosaurs walking around, and, and he's narrating it. Oh, this Brachiosaurus goes here and does this. You know, whatever. Oh, uh, okay. It was just okay, but okay. by subscribing to Apple Plus. I was able to find a new show for my wife and I to watch. Derek, have you ever seen Ted Lasso? Every episode. It's one of the best shows you're ever going to watch. It is fantastic. So good. So Jason Sudeikis, who I didn't really know before this. I think he was on Saturday Night Live for a while. He was on Saturday Night Live. And honestly, I never really cared for him on SNL. Mm -hmm. But after watching him on Ted Lasso, I have nothing but... The utmost respect for this man. I'm not going to give anything away, but just as a, as a like broad strokes, he plays this football coach from Kansas and he gets hired to go over to England and coach a soccer team in the Premier League. And the team is owned by this woman who wants the team to tank. So it's got this whole like major league vibe yep. going on. Yep. Jason Sudeikis is absolutely incredible. 
Uh, like th- this character, I mean, the, really the whole show, it, it, it could very easily come off as just being forced and kitschy, but it doesn't. No, it not, does, like, absolutely the, does not. These characters are all so good. And the, the characters, they all have depth. The writing is great. The show has this huge heart at the center of it. It's really, really good. I, I cannot recommend this show strong. It is one of the best TV shows that I have seen in a long time. And let me tell you, that's saying something. Because I've been watching old episodes of Different Strokes lately. And like those were amazing. So anyway, mm-hmm. Ted Lasso. Make sure you got to watch it. How far, how far into Ted Lasso are you? Watched all two seasons, waiting for season three to come out. And the thing Start is, too, again, soon. I don't want to give anything away. I really, really hope that they do three seasons and end it. Because you can tell this is a three-act play. I can just see it yeah. the way yeah. it is, the way it's taking shape. It's a three-act play. Do the third act and then call it a day. If they stretch it out into more seasons... I'm going to be disappointed because I think they need to tell the story in the third act and call it a day. But we'll have to see. But, oh, God, it is so good. Okay, and then I also have this. Here's your dad joke of the week. Derek, we're doing Die Hard this week, so I thought I would do a dad joke that's related to that movie. Okay, Derek, did you hear that the producers are coming out with yet another Die Hard sequel Starring 67-year-old Bruce Willis. No, I have not, Chris. It's called Get Hard or Die Trying. <laughs> That's pretty good, man. Yes, you like, oh, you like that one. Oh, good. Yeah, that was good. I was going to stop doing dad jokes, but old habits die hard. It's nothing but pure and simple communism. <laughs> oh, that sounds familiar. Hal Needham's futuristic masterpiece, Megaforce. With Chuck Norris? No, Barry Boswick and Michael Beck did all the heavy lifting in that one. I'm glad that happened to that guy. F him. I'm going to barbecue your ass in molasses. Thank you. The Southern NASCAR demographic. It's full of bigotry. It's full of racism. It's full yep. of sexism. There's no way you came from my loins. Hey, how cool is this? <laughs> what in the hell is this world coming to? All right, Derek, before we get into our movie this week, we first have to reveal the winner of our 1988 pop culture fantasy draft. So last episode, Derek, you and I each drafted a team of three movies, three TV shows, three songs, and a personal pick all from the year 1988. And we sent the lists off to our our esteemed panel of judges who returned their verdict by secret ballot. And our producer, Sloth, added them up, and we have a winner. But before we announce the winner, I just want to put a little bit of context here. So coming into this draft, we had done seven years from the 1980s. I won the first four drafts, and then, Derek, you peeled off like three straight victories to get back in the race. So after last week's draft, I thought it was interesting because you were saying that you didn't think 1988 was exactly a banner year for pop no, culture. You TV thought both of our lists were really pretty bad, awful. right? And I, I actually got some feedback from some of our listeners that like some of my friends that listen and they even said that they're like, wow, I didn't think yeah. that the eighties had that many years that were like tough years. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was like, Ooh, you were right. When you guys started doing yeah. your draft, like those TV picks were rough. Yeah, it wasn't great. So, but we did have a winner. Here we go. Oh, winner is. Chris. 
the verdict came back. It was a score of six to three. I beat you. So, although I gotta say, one of the judges apparently felt that you swept me four to nothing in the four categories. Apparently, this judge. Well, I uh, as I mentioned before, mm-hmm. after after our lists go out. I wait a few days and then I, I know a couple of the judges and I poll them and I said, have you, you know a couple of judges, two are your two best friends and one's yeah. your wife. And then so, <laughs> you know, I, I'm you know, behind the eight ball. I don't every influence week. your vote. I just asked them, you know, if you voted, are you comfortable telling me who you voted for? <laughs> and one of them, I went on and I'm like, who'd you vote for? And he's like, well, I picked this list. And I said, Oh, that was Chris's list. I'm like, really? You picked that? And he was like, well, he picked this song, which is one of my all-time favorite songs. So he's like, I sort of just had to give him that vote. And I was like, really? And then he goes, and this movie to me just, or this TV show to me is one of my guilty, I think it was The Live with Regis and Kathy Lee, you would pick yes. that. And he's like, it's one of my favorite guilty pleasure shows. So he goes, I kind of felt I had to give it to him on that one. I was like, are you kidding me? Those were awful picks. And he's like, well, you know, there's there's eight other people voting. I'm sure you'll do just fine. <laughs> so even if he had not voted for me, it sounds like I still would have been down by a vote. So do you have any feelings is. toward that judge that you'd like to air here? No, I mean, because okay. I do is. all the time. You, you, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. you. Um, but no, I, I like I said at the end of the last show, I really felt this was going to be a, a, a like. I didn't think it was going to be a clean sweep on either side. And I think we both sort of had some, you know, like mm-hmm. questionable picks given the the limited choices we had to work with. But uh, yeah, well, we, it is, it is. we got two more years to draft from, from the 80s. We got 83 and 87. And the good thing for me that this current victory not only puts the trophy, Funko Fonzie, back in my possession, it gives me a five to three overall lead. So this guarantees I cannot lose the draft of the 80s. Even if you win the next two drafts, we'll be tied. So the worst we'll I can do is a tie. So that's, that's fair. Yep, so I'm happy with that. wrong with that. Okay, so we got done with the draft, 1988. It was over to me to pick a movie from that year. I went with Bruce Willis's action film, Die Hard. Derek, it has been 34 years since this movie was originally released. Hard to believe. But over the years, it's, re- it's reached this like legendary Gen X status. And, and, and we're going to get into all the facets of that here tonight, I'm sure. But for starters, I want to get, what was your impression of Die Hard after 34 years? It was every, I watched it today. It was every bit as good as it was way back then, today when I watched it. This movie holds up. This movie is is clearly set in the time frame. Like, you know, like so many movies, we, we can nitpick like, oh, well, you know, with today's lens looking back, this doesn't hold up, that doesn't hold up, but... On, on its whole, I felt this movie holds up very well as like an action-adventure movie. Um, I think that the performances were good. I think that as an action movie, it gives you exactly what you need. It gives you exactly what you expect out of it. Uh, it's got interesting dialogue, interesting nuance. It's, it's a clever way to present what could have otherwise been just a very by-the-numbers kind of story. And after this movie came out, you know, they say imitation is his most sincerest form of flattery. Mm-hmm. There were a ridiculous amount of imitation of this formula uh, where you would have die hard on a plane, die hard on a boat, die hard in a school. And and that became a genre in and of itself. That was a way to pitch your movie in Hollywood after this movie was such a success. You'd go into a meeting and they'd be like, well, describe your movie in one sentence. Well, it's die hard on a bus. And uh, and so this movie is 
an important movie. This movie, in my mind, is a great movie. This movie endears. This movie is a staple. Any self-respecting movie lover hopefully has seen this movie and hopefully enjoys this movie. I think if I told you I've seen this movie 30 times, that might even be a low estimate. I have seen this movie a lot, and I felt watching it today, it held up every bit. I will say this. It sure felt weird watching this movie when it wasn't at Christmas time. But we'll stick a pin in that and we'll come back yeah. to that in a minute. I want to talk about that. Okay, a couple of facts about the movie. It was directed by John McTiernan. Had a budget of $30 million. It grossed $83 million domestically in the U.S., $140 million worldwide. It starred Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, Bonnie Bedelia, and Alexander Goodenough. It finished seventh at the box office in 1988. Who Framed Roger Rabbit was number one, Coming to America was up there, big, Crocodile Dundee too. Um, but the director, John McKiernan, I, I wasn't really familiar with him all that much. Um, I mean, he did Predator before this, and he did this, and he did The Hunt for Red October, which was actually pretty good. And then he did Die Hard with a Vengeance, The Thomas Crown Affair, and Rollerball. Thomas Crown Affair from 99, Rollerball from 2002. So he's done two remakes of old movies, so uh, now I don't know. The Thomas Crown Affair remake with Pierce Brosnan is fantastic. In my mind, one of the better remakes we've ever had. Hmm. Not that the first one was bad, but that's the new one was an excellent reimagining. Rollerball, it was awful. So he's a bit of hit and miss as a director, mm -hmm. I guess, eh? Because he also did Last Action Hero, which was you know, a bit yeah, long. not so much. But I want to talk about the cast, obviously. You know, let's start with that. I like to talk Bruce Willis. We got to start with him. This guy was like this unproven leading man in terms of being a movie star, you know? But he wasn't a total unknown at the time because he was doing the, the, the show Moonlighting, the TV show with Sybil yeah. Shepard. And they had some of the best on-screen chemistry, I think, in TV history. Oh, no question. And like he was this wise-cracking, you know, character on that show. And, you know, but not in a way that you, you, you thought he was like annoying smart you, you actually liked his character of David. You know, on that show. Yep. I did. I used to watch that show. I thought, I always thought he was going to be a big star, you know, when I watched that. So um, what do you think about him being cast in this movie, him playing the lead role? Well, I mean, honestly, when this movie came out, I would have been 13, 14 years old. So I was aware that he was in the Moonlighting TV show. I don't really remember watching Moonlighting. I think it was probably a little more like up my parents alley than mine, like just given my age at the time. So, you know, I, I didn't have any issues with him being in it. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I, upon reading some of the background, they, there was a lot of other bigger name actors that were considered for this role before they landed on Bruce Willis. But at the end of the day, he got the role and man, oh man, did he nail it. And his career changed for the better afterwards like it, it was a, a launching pad unlike anything else and uh we wouldn't have the bruce willis we have today if he had not been in Die Hard. I, I guarantee you that absolutely now this movie was based on a book that was yes it was written by roderick thorpe it was uh from 1979 called nothing lasts forever which was a sequel to roderick thorpe's 1966 book the detective now the detective back in the day back in 68 they made that into a movie starring frank sinatra he was yep. in the lead role. The, yep. the lead character there was called Joe Leland. And then when they went to option the sequel, Frank Sinatra had it in his contract that he must be offered first 
right of refusal on the roll. So since he was 73 years old, he decided to pass very yeah. wisely, which was good. Yeah. But good like call. you mentioned, like lots of names were thrown around. Like the studio wanted a name. If they're going to spend $30 million on a movie, they want a name. They wanted Stallone, Charles Bronson. They talked about Nick Nolte, Richard Gere, Harrison Ford, even Richard Dean Anderson, MacGyver. They were throwing around. Chris, I did some research on this. I have 18 names of people yep. that were either offered or considered for the role. And I'm going to run down this list, some of which you just mentioned. You, this is literally a who's who of Hollywood. And it's shocking to believe that if all of these people were offered or considered for the role, how did they end up with Bruce Willis? But, you know, you never know with the Internet. Some of these stories are a little bit crazy. But here's the list. I'm just going to read down in no particular order. Clint Eastwood, Richard Gere, Robert De Niro. Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, Burt Reynolds, Richard yes. Dean Anderson, you just mentioned, mm -hmm. Sylvester Stallone, Charles Bronson, Nick Nolte, who was apparently offered the role and turned it down, Don Johnson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, John Travolta, Michael Madsen, Al Pacino, Tom Berenger, Paul Newman, years earlier when they were going to do the movie in like 1980, and believe it or not, Jack Lemon, who lobbied incredibly hard to have this role again, I think it was when it was going to be done in the eight in the early 80s. Right. And they were just like, no, man, you are way too old. So that's 18 other people that were either considered or offered the role and didn't get it. And that is their 19th pick. They went with Bruce Willis. So talk about, uh, you know, a what could have been. This is what they ended up with. That's just crazy. And and again, those may not all be true, but as I was doing the homework, those were all the names I could find. I'm sure there's a dozen more that I missed, but well, yeah. Like you mentioned, Bruce Willis was considered, but they, they felt he was a comedic actor because yes. he had two Emmys from doing Moonlighting. And then all of a sudden, Sybil Shepherd got pregnant. And there was no way they were going to write a pregnancy into that show. There's no way. No. no. So the producers decided, okay, you know what? We're going to go on a hiatus. And they gave the cast and crew 11 weeks off. Willis got the part. He, he was paid $5 million to do it too, which back then was like big bucks, especially for somebody who wasn't a sort of a proven star. And then even when he, he got cast, he did the movie, the, their early promotional marketing material didn't have his face on it, just had the bill. Yeah. And then that once it ridiculous. started to pick up steam, they added his face to the poster, right? Because, you know, he pulled it off. But I mean, you know, great casting. Really, when you look back on it. The other great casting of this, Alan Rickman. <laughs> He's so good. It's hands grooming. You cannot picture anyone else. But they originally offered it to Sam Neill. Yeah, he was the only other name that I could find. I, I have possible recasting for... Uh, McLean and, and Hans Gruber, which we've now just talked about. Uh, and then I've also got some for Holly and for Al Powell. But for Hans Gruber, Sam Neill was literally the only other name that I could find anywhere in the homework. Yeah, he didn't want to do it. And then the producer saw Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman had not done a single film role at this point. Mm -hmm. And he was on Broadway doing Dangerous Liaisons, which he won a 24 in 87. And the producer saw him and was like, that's that's Hans Gruber. Like, and so they got him. Bonnie Bedelia, I want to mention. Mm -hmm. First of all, she is like this gorgeous movie star and she's really talented as an actress, but she never really made it big as a, as a star, no. which surprised me because 
Um, oh, she's also Macaulay Culkin's aunt, by the way. In, in real life? Yep. Did not know that. Um, two movies that I want to give her a shout out on. One is Heart Like a Wheel, where she played a real life uh, race car driver, um, Shirley Muldowney. And then she did a Canadian movie called Between Friends in 1973. It was by Donald, uh, by Donald uh, Shebib, who had previously done Going Down the Road. A lot of people think of Donald Shebib as like, like Going Down the Road was his best movie. Between Friends is a fantastic film. Like I say, it came out in 73. She was in it. It's like these two friends that are like, they're going to do like a, like a robbery and stuff and all this stuff happens. She is a really, really good actress. But like I say, she never really became a star. And I don't know why. I'm not really sure if it may be her choice or, you know, she just decided to turn down roles and kind of walk away from acting. I don't really know. But she was good in this. I thought she was great. She was great. And, and uh, I was, again, I've been doing a lot of homework on this movie to try and find things about the movie that we didn't already know. And I read a lot of stuff where originally people believe that she got the role because Bruce Willis um, called in a favor or well, he or recommended her. her for the role. Yeah. And, and it's, it's been clarified numerous times that her, she got the role because she was considered the best person for the part, whether or not Bruce Willis sort of got helped her get her foot in the door is one thing or another, but it's very clear that she didn't get it through any sort of nepotism or favoritism that we know of. Everybody who was like, oh, well, Bruce Willis got her the role. He's like, no, I didn't get her the part. I said that I thought she would be a good fit. And then she had to audition like everybody else. So she earned it on her merits. And I think what we see on the screen proves that she was definitely uh, the right fit for the role. Uh, speaking of uh, of right for the role, though, I have a list of other people who again, may or may not have been considered for this role. And this is a long list here, too, of, of actresses who were big at the time. These are people who possibly could have been considered. Linda Hamilton, Gina Davis, Deborah Winger, Michelle Pfeiffer, Jamie Lee Curtis, Carrie Fisher, and Kelly McGillis apparently were all considered or offered this role, but none of them ended up with it. So... Again, this is this is a movie where a lot of names were thrown around for a long time, but uh, I think the people they got in those roles worked just fine. Alexander Godunov was one of the bad guys. He was a, the, the long blonde hair. Mm-hmm. I remember him from Witness. I was going to say, wasn't he in Witness? Oh, yeah, he was so good in that movie too. Like he, he was uh, he was trying to vie for Kelly McGillis's um, affections, you know, against yep. Harrison Ford, and he died very young. He died of alcohol poisoning at a very young age. Was that what it was? I knew he had died young. I just didn't know the circumstances. But the cast in this movie just goes on. Reginald Vell Johnson. I mean, he basically parlayed his likable character here into a TV show with Family Matters. Like he was he was really good at this. Paul Gleason, I want to mention. As much as I love Paul Gleason, he was Richard Vernon in The Breakfast Club. And of course, My favorite, Clarence Beeks in Trading Places, which I just watched the other week. Yep. He is the worst part of this movie, though. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And I read some reviews where some of the the critics had that exact same feedback when the movie came out, that they didn't feel his character was believable. They didn't feel his character added anything but problems to the story. And they felt that if his character had been completely removed from the script, it would have shortened the movie and made the made the script and the story tighter and i i gotta i gotta agree 100 i agree I do with not you think 100 percent. yeah i, I don't agree. think he brought any value to this i think every second he's on screen is a is a is a an x for the movie 
It feels like they just put him in the script just to be like an additional foil for McLean. But yeah, and I like it. I don't like it. I mean, it makes Ve- um, Reginald Vell Johnson's character stronger, I think, and more likable because he believes McLean, you know, and he's trying to help him. But I think rather than having this dumb cop character that doesn't believe McLean, I would have rather just seen the cops and the feds all trying to help McLean. But in the end, they're on the outside. He's on the inside. It's up to him to save the day. Like, I just yeah. thought it would have worked better as a script, but that was me. Yeah, I agree. William Atherton was the, the media guy, and he was um, he was in um, in Ghostbusters. So and he was in uh, Real Genius as uh, oh, Halfway, yes. which yes, we did was. on our podcast a yes. while back. And I, I want to also mention Hart Bachner, who was Harry Ellis. He has worked steadily as an actor over the years. Like, nothing major. You know, um, but uh, he was in Breaking Away and Terror Train back in the day, but like he never really did a whole lot else. And the other one I wanted to mention was Devereaux White. So he was the guy that was like driving the limousine. Remember, he was in the underground. He was in Head of the Class, and I always remember him from the Blues Brothers. So there's the scene in Ray's Music Exchange when the Blues Brothers go in and they're talking to Ray Charles. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Ray Charles just picks up a gun and shoots it at the wall because there's a kid who's going to steal a guitar. You remember that scene? And he shoots the wall and he's like, shame to see a kid that young turn into crime. That kid was Devereaux White. No, Jesus. I I recognize him right away. And there's a few Goonies connections here too. All right. Robert Davey. Remember he played Big Johnson? Remember there was Big Johnson and Little Johnson? Yes. So Grand Bush played Little Johnson. I want to give him a shout out too. Because he was slowpoke and stir crazy. And he was also this boxing champion, I remember, in an episode of Police Squad. Remember that TV show with Leslie Nielsen? So there was Little Johnson and Big Johnson. Big Johnson was Robert Davey. He was one of the Fratellis. Oh, yeah, right. And then Mary Ellen Trainer, the girl that was like the media girl. She was um, she was um, Brand and, uh, and Mikey's mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a Goonies connection there. So I just thought that the cast overall was just great. And there's so many people. They're, they're all they're really good. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things about the cast. So you you brought up Hart Bachner, who plays Ellis. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading in the trivia that his father is also an actor who was in the previous movie um, with Frank Sinatra. The detective. The, yeah, yeah, the detective. That was basically the... The book, The Detective, was the prequel to the book that this Die Hard movie was based on. So that's a little connection there. The other one was uh, just, again, about possible people considered for Al Powell. Apparently, the role had been offered to Gene Hackman, and he turned it down. And then it came down to uh, Reginald Bell Johnson, who ultimately got the part, and Wesley Snipes. Hmm. And Snipes didn't get it either. And so we got what we got. But uh, again, it's it's been fun to go back and look at some of these notes about who else might have been in these roles? So so since I love the, the Gen X movies and you're about the, the more normal, like really up, like up-to-date movies, I have lots of questions for you. But before we get to some of those, I have sure. a question. Yep. Is this a Christmas movie? 100% yes. Absolutely no question. It was released on July 15th, 1988. What Christmas movie debuts in July? Who cares? How is that relevant to the question? Because <laughs> it takes place at Christmas, right? Okay, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this right now. Sure. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. 
Hear oh, me out. You're wrong. Hear, hear uh, me out. Uh, sure. Go for it. It is a Christmas Eve movie. Oh, that's such a technicality. I watch it. You're right. Every it is a year. Christmas Eve movie. Sure. I watch it every year at Christmas Eve. So about four, oh, maybe five or six years ago now, I said to my wife, "Die, we got to watch Die Hard. It was Christmas Eve. Kids go to bed. We're all done. We're ready to go to bed. I'm like, let's put a movie on. I say, I got to watch Die Hard. She's like, what the hell? I've never seen this. I put it on. She's like, oh my God, this movie is fantastic. I'm like, I know. And it's been a tradition for us ever since. So every year at Christmas Eve, we watch Die Hard. I think it is a Christmas movie. I really do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, and the funny thing is, this movie, like if you think about it, this movie could have been a flop. I mean, oh, you've got yeah. this this totally unproven lead actor fronting the movie. It takes place at Christmas, but it comes out in the summer, like I say. And the the other thing too, like if you think about it, this script has the lead actor alone through most of the movie. They they don't have him in a lot of scenes with other actors. And no, I mean, the script is pretty clever because it allows Bruce Willis to kind of make the most of his screen time by like talking his way through things and kind of explaining things, you know, and he walks the audience through everything, you know. So uh, I don't know, this, this unproven guy that could have been a bomb. But I mean, Bruce Willis delivers in spades. He was so good. Yeah, the, arguably, in my mind, this is the best work Bruce Willis has ever put on screen. Take it or leave it. I mean, some people argue it's maybe something a little later in his career or maybe even his moonlighting stuff where he got awarded. But for me, pound for pound, uh, this is his best movie. And and I mean, when when we lose Bruce Willis, this is going to be the first line of his obituary. Bruce Willis from Die Hard. Like, mm-hmm. there's no question. This this is the movie that everyone associates with him. Uh, when you first think of Die Hard, this he's who you think of. He was a struggling actor in New York for years, like like most of them are. I remember him and John Goodman were roommates in New York, trying to make it, trying to make it, trying to make it. And uh, yeah, then he lucked out or not lucked out, but I mean, you know, he got the job with Moonlighting and he made the most of it. Like he made an impression. And a lot of things have to be right, you know, for things to happen in Hollywood. And like you mentioned, all these other actors were considered, you know, he was doing, uh, Moonlighting was considered comedic. It was just Sybil Shepard's pregnancy that kind of pushed him into it. I have a question for you. Did you see this movie in the theater when it came out? No, I did not. I was only 13 or 14 years old. I believe it was restricted here in Canada. You had to be 18 or over to get in. I absolutely did not see this in the theater, but I'm fairly confident I remember seeing this almost immediately when it came to home video. I did see this in the theater. I was 18 at the time and I loved it. And I remember I went to see the sequel as well in the theater. Um, We've often mentioned that if you want to really understand a movie when you look back at these, you need to understand the time you know, when it came out, the thing for me was, and I remember this at the time too, like all the action movie heroes in the eighties were these invincible guys. Like you yes. had Schwarzenegger and Stallone. They were like these unstoppable machines. Yep. And then along comes Bruce Willis and McLean's just a cop that's in a bad situation. And he's trying to match wits with like these, these, robbers and and he's got bloody feet you know and the, and the woman he cares for is being held hostage it's almost like he's an anti-hero at least in regard to 80s movies and stuff mm-hmm. and i think yeah, maybe that's, that's that was some of the appeal of this movie i think i think that's why people liked it so much they could relate to it 
You know? Yeah, I think I think you've hit it right on the head. He he's more of sort of an everyman kind of hero. He's not like super muscular like Schwarzenegger, who was a Mr. Olympia. He's just a regular guy with a regular physique with a, what what could be very much considered a regular job. He doesn't have superpowers. He doesn't have you know access to you know special equipment. It's like he doesn't even have shoes on. And and I think just the vulnerability of a regular man in an extreme circumstance is really what appealed to the audience. People could genuinely see themselves in this hero. Not to say that I could do what he did, but you could relate better to this kind of a character than you could to say Schwarzenegger's special forces guy in the predator or, you know, or, or a movie like that or a hero like that. So we kind of answered the next question I was going to ask you is, is how does the movie hold up? And like you think it holds up well, I will watch it. Like it's fantastic. Like it's so good. Like even in today's CGI world and all that kind of stuff, this movie still packs a punch. But how does this movie compare? And this question is for you, Derek, because I can't answer it. How does it sure. compare to the action films of today's generation? Uh, well, I think I think the Die Hard is definitely the upper echelon of 80s actions movies. Like if you had to make your list of your top five or your top 10 favorite or best or most successful action movies of the 80s, Die Hard's in the top five every time, no question. And I think for a lot of people, possibly even for me included, it's number one or number two. Like what would some is, of those other ones be out of curiosity? Like Commando uh, and like Rambo. I don't know, like Terminator 2 maybe or uh, yeah, Terminator Kicks, 2 was like, like, was was after. It was like 1990, oh, that was like 90 or 92. Um, I think of Rambo, First Blood Part Two. That's a big. Yeah, that was film. a pretty big movie in the eighties. First um, Predator. Yeah, that's yeah. Predator is an excellent an excellent example. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, compared to today's movies, because now it's all CGI and Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff that's just like bigger than life and just crazy and like so busy and so active. Yeah, I think, how does this I think, movie hold up? Well, I think what you would have if this script was pitched today, I don't think it would be a movie. I think it would be more of a prestige TV six episode thing where it's like you have the the character exploration and and you have flashbacks to who these characters are and what their motivations are. And I, I think that would be more of how it would come off today. I don't think necessarily they would just do it as a two hour movie. And so I think it would be presented differently. But I think that would definitely affect its longevity in the sense of if it's not a movie, people are less likely to go back and rewatch a limited series. They're less likely to go back and watch, you know, six episodes of a show. Whereas if it's a movie, you're just like, well, I got two hours. Let me rewatch this. So, yeah, I just think that that this kind of story in today in today's marketplace would very likely be made in a different way using different medium using a different platform yeah that's fair i mean you know what i'm going to say you know give me this movie 9 you know 10 times out of 10 versus you know one of these you know big splashy movies like thor and all this crap that is mcu crap i would take this movie 10 times out of 10 over those movies it's so it's good it's great but it's a different kind of movie it so is. i don't necessarily know if you're comparing apples to apples but but I, I understand what you're saying so you were talking about um 
holding up. So yeah. there, you know, as we always do, we look for things like I look for things in the movie that are like, what, what makes it dated? Right. What, what's different? So, I mean, the number one thing that's, that jumped out to me with this was the absence of mobile devices and the, the fact that they have to rely on CB communication because the, tele- the yeah. landlines are down yeah. and they have walkie talkies, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 communication limitations are a big plot point of this movie. And then when he does try to use the CB radio to contact the police, they don't believe him. They tell him to call back on the telephone using 911 in, in today's world. If this movie was set today, the fact that everyone would have cell phones would, you would really have to address how that X factor would, would work into the, into the plot as you would with so many movies, right? Like, I remember, and I think I've told this story on the pod before, there was a novel I remember reading that, that took place in like the mid-1970s where an, a, a, one of the main characters had important information but didn't have enough money to use a payphone to make a call to relay that information to the people that could use it. And the next 200 pages of the book were all about the guy trying to physically get from point A to point B because he didn't have a quarter in his pocket. Or I think even at the time it was a dime. And I read this book like 10 years ago and thought, Wow, if he had a cell phone, this whole book wouldn't even happen. So, <laughs> you know, some some plot points are are good and relevant and make perfect sense in the time frame in which they take place. But when you start to try and imagine how they would work today, in some cases, they just absolutely would not. The other thing that we talk about in almost every one of these old movies is the smoking. Yes. And I loved that <laughs> the movie begins with Bruce Willis on the airplane as it lands in Los Angeles. And then the very next scene cuts to him arriving in the terminal, going to the luggage carousel, and he's lighting up a cigarette. So clearly he couldn't smoke on the plane, which is definitely a step forward. But it was a late 80s. Out, you he can't goes smoke into on the planes. Inside anymore. terminal and lights up a smoke. And then throughout the whole movie, people are smoking. Oh, yeah. They're smoking inside. And that's just an 80s thing. Uh, I sort of both chuckled and cringed at it at the same time. But uh, there was yeah. one scene too where Hans Gruber was at the desk and he was going like through a Rolodex, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh man, those don't exist anymore." <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, any quotes from the movie you want to talk? Oh about? my god, yeah. There was there's some good. I mean, there's the ones that everybody knows, but one of the ones that really made me laugh this time through, and it makes me laugh every time, is from Argyle, the guy in the limo. He has some of. He's not in the movie that much, but when they cut to him, his reactions are gold and they add to every scene that they cut to him. He's the guy, he's the guy from blues brothers. Yeah. So he's on. So at the very beginning, John McClane is at the party and he's taking his shoes off. He's make the fist with his toes and he, he has the little spat with his wife and then he calls Argyle in the, in the limo and Argyle's like, Hey, you know, are you going to stay at your wife's house? Did you strike out? What's going on? And he's like, well, you know, the, the verdict's still out on that one. And then the line goes dead. Because the, at this point, the the thieves have cut the phone lines. And McLean's sort of like, Argyle, are you there? And it's like, no. And then Argyle just looks at the phone and he's like, you know the number. Use it. And just <laughs> just the delivery of that line. I laughed so much. I, I Like, I've laughed at that line before, but I just forgot. And so that line just really made me laugh. Then he hangs up the phone and he just continues to party in the limo. And I was like, that was awesome. There's obviously the, the yippee Kaye. Of course. Run. I mean, that's the same. Which was line. just this total throwaway line. Yeah. That Willis came up with and it just ended up, you know, being endearing. 
one of the, the the things I remember watching this again that really stood out to me when he's he's like in two things when he's in the air events he does two lines in there that I love yeah one where he says come out to the coast we'll get together have a few laughs yeah. <laughs> like, like 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 this was gonna be so good and look what I'm into and then when he's also in there and he's like now I know what a TV dinner feels like yeah and I'm like I don't know if any buddy from today's generation but we don't even know what that means no of course not know. but that first line you said where he's in there where he flicks the lighter yeah. i remember that being a part of the marketing and in the trailer mm-hmm. and it works so well for a number of reasons because it's like it's a good line but the fact that out of context if you haven't seen the movie and you just see a guy in that cramped space that's clearly like an air duct and he's in this dirty t-shirt and he's got blood wounds on him and that's the line and that's all you get you're like it, it begs a lot of questions to a moviegoer like, well, who is this guy? Why is he in this circumstance? Like, what's going on? Like, it makes you want to go to the movie to understand how did he get in this situation? So I think it's a great short snippet to throw into a trailer because it really does what a trailer is supposed to do. It doesn't give away the whole movie, but it entices you to want to go and see it so you understand why this scene is important. As a, as a movie buff, I love when, it, when uh, Gruber says, this time, John Wayne doesn't walk off into the sunset with Grace Kelly. And John McClane goes, that was Gary Cooper. Yeah, he corrects him. Yeah. <laughs> Love that line, too. Yep. And then one other one that I really liked, and it's a little bit dated, maybe, like you could understand or you can't, or even think it's really insensitive. When McClane's looking down and Reginald Bell Johnson, the cop, is driving in, and he's like, yes, he's driving in. And he drives in, and he just kind of, like, goes around. He does a couple circles around yeah, the Yeah, he circles, and he doesn't, and he's like, he doesn't see that there's, like, guys in the front hall, like, like holding it hostage. And he's like, who's driving this car, Stevie Wonder? Like, yeah. making this joke that the guy's blind, which <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know if that really landed well, but... But then I like that immediately after that, it cuts to Argyle in the limo and he's listening to a Stevie Wonder song, mm-hmm. which to me was just like, Mwah, somebody has a sense of humor here. Um, the sequels. I, I mentioned that I saw Die Hard 2 in the theater as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not seen another single movie in the series, nor do I care to. <gasps> really? Um, yeah. I remember the bad guy in Die Hard 2 being really good. Like he, he was the actor that played Haywood in the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, Shawshank, yeah. And it took place in an airport, if I remember. Yep. And like they were terrorists trying to take out a plane or something. Which, by the way, I should mention, the, the book that this is based on, I think, involved terrorists. And the original script involved terrorists. And they felt it was too dark. So that's when they made them robbers instead. Yeah. But like I say, Die Hard 2, I remember it, it, I thought it was quite good when I saw it. I thought it was really i remember a scene there was in like the baggage handling area under the airport going on almost as terrifying as the the baggage experience i had when i was Jeez. flying earlier this year but so i saw die hard 2 thought it was pretty good at the time haven't seen it since um but i didn't watch any of the other sequels i was like i'm done again i'm good but you, you're so you're saying they're good. Apparently. Die, die hard 3 die hard with a vengeance with samuel jackson is mm-hmm. fantastic it's in my mind it's better than part two. I thought part two was good, but not great. And I mean, if you're coming off of Die Hard, it's going to be a difficult task to make that sequel hit that high watermark that the first one did. And I don't think Die Hard 2 did that. It sort of amped everything up. And there's a lot of scenes in Die Hard 2 that just really seem far-fetched. 
um, even more so than some of the far-fetched stuff that happens in the first Die Hard. But with Die Hard with a Vengeance, it was just, it was an interesting, clever movie. They found a way to sort of tie the third movie into the first movie that made sense. And I think it really played up the idea that John McClane is kind of a screw up. Like in, I, I know you haven't seen it, so I don't really want to ruin too much, but the movie basically it's still starts, like 35 years old. Yeah. So you're not the movie, the movie basically starts where McClane has, has been called in for again, reasons that I won't go into. And he's like hung over and he's got a headache and he doesn't have a lot of sleep. And like the whole movie he's struggling with, you know, just a whole bunch of issues, some physical, some mental, some emotional. And it just really emphasizes that, he could be a regular guy with regular kinds of problems. And hey, sometimes you go out the night before and you have a few drinks and you still have to go to work the next day, no matter how bad you feel. And and I think that in Die Hard with a Vengeance, like you you sort of come back to what you had in the first Die Hard where I see myself in this guy. Maybe I don't have the drinking problem he has. Maybe I'm not a cop like he is. But he he really comes across as sort of that every man in uh, in the third movie. And Samuel Jackson, I mean, honestly, that guy makes almost every movie he's in better. So I would say try Die Hard with the Vengeance. I think you'll like it. It was it was good. It's not Die Hard, guess, good, but it's pretty good. It kind of reminds me of Lethal Weapon. Like I really liked the first movie, and then it just seemed like you're just rehashing it, and rehashing. It. Just stop. Yeah. Well, from from what I remember reading, Die Hard with a Vengeance was not originally supposed to be a part of the Die Hard franchise. It was just like a police officer thriller kind of movie. And then when they were having problems sort of getting it made, someone's like, well, what if we make it part of the Die Hard franchise and we just throw in a few little bits and bobs here and there? And uh, with a little bit of script doctoring, they took what was otherwise a decent action movie and just went, yeah, we can make this part of the Die Hard. Mm. And I think I think that actually worked better than if they had conceived it as a sequel um, by having it as an action movie first and a sequel, like as a secondary consideration, I think that worked really well for it. But all right, so let's rate this movie out of ten. Well, hang on before we go to that. Yep. I have a few points I want. I know oh, we're sure. running a little long, but let me just run down a few things here. Go for it. Um, so the um, there's a scene in the movie near the beginning where they um, the 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 VIP the CEO uh, Takagi, who's the the mm-hmm. the leader of the the corporation. They take him down to the office and they're asking him for a code and he doesn't have it or he refused to cough it up and they end up killing him. And when they do that, there's an exchange between the um, the character who's the hacker, um, Theo is the character's name, and um, and Carl, the guy you had spoken about who was from Witness. And after, the, after Takagi gets shot in the head, Carl hands Theo money. It looked like a $100 bill. And what it seems like, again, I, we don't know for sure, but it seems like the, the two of these characters had a side bet. One of them obviously believed that the mm-hmm. CEO would give up the password and the other one did not. And when he did not and he gets shot in the head, there's an exchange of money. You know me, I'm a gambler. I caught up, I caught on that immediately. And every time I watch that movie, it sort of just makes me chuckle a little bit that these guys on top of this bank, this, this heist that's supposed to net them $600 million dollars they're still petty enough to want to have a little side bet. So I don't, that always makes me laugh. Um, another little uh, bit I, I found out. So when I was doing some of the homework for this, so Die Hard, like so many other movies, because it was so successful, was released in foreign countries. And a lot of times when American movies are released in foreign countries where English is not the first language of the people in those countries, the movie gets dubbed into whatever language it might be. And in order to help sell the movie, they need to translate the title into 
the other language. Now, Die Hard is not a very descriptive title of what this movie is about. So I want to read you what some of the translations were from other countries of what they translated this movie title into the literal translation when you translate it back into English. And some of these are hilarious and some of them are, are actually just pretty accurate. So in no particular order. In Spain, the title translates to Crystal Jungle. In France, it translates to Crystal Trap. <coughs> Excuse me. In German, it translates to Die Slowly. In Greece, it translates to Very Hard to Die. In Norway, depending on how you interpret it, it can either be Action Skyscraper or Operation Skyscraper. In Poland, they called it The Glass Trap. In Hungary, they called it Give Your Life Expensive. It's a weird <laughs> translation. In Finland, it was called Only Over My Dead Body. In Portugal, it was called Skyscraper Heist. That one seems to probably be the most accurate. And then in Serbia, we had a couple of different translations. The first translation was either Die Like a True Man or more literally Die Manly. Or on their bootleg VHS tapes, they called it sell your skin at a high price. So all of those are pretty bizarre translations. But, you, you know, you do what you have to do to make a movie marketable. What do you think about the title? Because it's obviously not based on the, the, the book. I mean, I always thought of it as like, I'm not going down without a fight. Yeah, that was that was sort of how I always interpreted it, rightly or wrongly. But but exactly. It's. You know, it's the nuance of language. Like, why isn't the movie called Skyscraper Heist? You know, I mean, it's not as sexy, but that's certainly a more clear description of what's happening in this movie. But in any case, Die Hard, it worked. They've continued to use it in the other sequels. They've continued to play off of the the Die Hard. You know, one of them, I think, is called Live Free or Die Hard. Like, it's it's all about that sort of play on the term. But and of course, my dad joke. One thing I should mention, you and I are big fans of the Oscars. This movie was nominated for four Academy Awards, by the way. It Did was it nominated for Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Sound Effects Editing, and Visual Effects. So all the like technical awards. Yeah. But still, uh, like that's Did it did it win any of them? Didn't win any of them, no. No. Just, it's, just it's unfortunate, but yeah. it's good to be you know, it's like I said, sometimes it's just like nice yeah. to be nominated. Especially a movie like this. So this a movie like this, what are we going to give it a rating out of 10? What would you say? I got to say either a nine or a nine and a half. But I will, uh, I will go with nine. I'm saying nine. Yeah, I, I think I nine is nine. right. Yeah, it yeah. was so good. It's so entertaining. Yeah, it's really good. It really so holds so many up. ways. Like, it's so good. Yep. So, yep. Nope, I'm, I'm happy with that. All right, let's have some fun with Caveman. All right, my man, it is over to you this week. What have you All got right. for me? Uh, well, I got good news and bad news for you. The mm -hmm. bad news is I'm going to ask you questions about movies, but not one of them came out in the 80s. They're all from the 90s or later. So oh, okay. you may, well, I'll you see may what or I may do. not do well on this <laughs> trivia, but I think people listening to this podcast are going to do very well in this They'll trivia. do well. I won't. So, and that'll, that'll make it fun for them. So yeah. go ahead. This is going to be quick, though, because the questions are all real short. Okay. So I mentioned earlier in this podcast that after Die Hard came out, mm -hmm. one of the trends in Hollywood was we're going to make a movie that's basically Die Hard on a something. Right. I'm going to give you a description. Die Hard on a, and I'll tell you the year. I just want you to tell me what movie this is. And if okay. you're really, really stuck, I'll give you the name of the star of the movie to help you. Ready? Okay. So the so, first so, one. So again, using the, yeah. 
the concept of it's Die Hard. Yep. On something. Die like Hard that. on a something. I'll tell you the something. I'll tell you the year. You tell me the movie you think it is. And I'll, I'll warn you, there are a couple of things where the question is the same. So the only difference is the year. So if, if that's the only tweak on it, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. All right. Ready to rock and roll here? Sure. All right. So this is Die Hard on a plane, but it's the president's plane. Air Force One. Yes. Yeah. All right. Good. All right. Next one is Die Hard at a sports stadium. Ooh. And it's a hockey arena. If that oh, helps. is it? Um. Oh, oh, it's the one with um. Oh, what's his face? It, it's not Under Siege. What was it? It was Sudden Death. Yes. 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 I had to there you go. Yes. Nice. That was from 1995. Yeah. All right. From 1996, Die Hard in a prison. Ooh, Die Hard in a Prison. We um, did this as a movie review. Oh, we did? From 96? Yep. It starred Nicolas Cage. Oh, is it um, The Rock? Yes. Oh, yes. I remember you nice. made me watch that. Yes. All right. From 1992, Die Hard on a Battleship. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I don't know. You just said it. Like about a minute ago when you were guessing the other movie. I was on a battleship? Die Hard on a Battleship with Steven Seagal. I don't know. What did I say? It was Under Siege. Oh, Under Siege. Because I don't know what that movie's about. Come on. So I didn't watch it. Okay. I didn't watch it. All right. Die Hard on a Train from 1995. Mm, die Hard on a Train from 95. I was thinking about, no, it wouldn't be that one. Um, I'm going to go with a 70s one called The Cassandra Crossing. I know. You know, that's wrong. But Die Hard on a Train stars Steven Seagal. Does that help? I know you're a big uh, Seagal It doesn't. Fan. I didn't watch any of his movies. I, I hated <laughs> this his movies. This was Under Siege 2, Dark oh, Territory. Because if the formula works, keep doing it. it. Yep. All right. This one, I don't know. Die Hard at a boarding school. Oh, Jesus. I have From 1991. No idea what that one would be. I don't know. Stars Will Wheaton. <laughs> God. I don't know. Wasn't. Uh, I don't know. Toy Soldiers. I've never even heard of that movie. Oh, it was pretty good. Huh. All right. 1993. Die Hard on a Mountain. Oh, is that Cliffhanger? Yes. <laughs> With Stallone. I remember that. Yes. Movie. I remember that movie. Yeah. All right. Die, from 1992, Die Hard on a Commercial Airplane. Oh, was it the one with, oh, what's it, Wesley Snipes? Yes. Wasn't, oh, what's his name on that too? Always Bet on Black. Was it like Passenger? Yes. 57 or something? Yes. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh my God. Jeez. All right. Oh, man. Okay, Die Hard on a prison airliner. On a prison airliner. Ooh. From 1997. On a prison airline. Con Air? Yes! Oh, yes! Nice. <laughs> All right. This. I got, okay. <laughs> Die Hard on a commuter bus. It's got to be speed. Of course it's yes. speed. Oh, yes. Die Hard on a Cruise Ship from 1997. Was that Speed 2? Yes! Yeah, I knew it was Cruise Control. I didn't see it, but I knew it was called Cruise Control. So nice. Gotta be Cruise. All right. 
I got another one. Die Hard on a Commercial Airplane again. This one from 1996. Oh, God. I know this movie and I don't know why. Wasn't Halle Berry in that one? Yes. And Steven Seagal. <laughs> was it, wasn't it like, like, it was a stupid title. Like, oh, God. Was it an executive decision? Yes. <laughs> nice. I don't know how it why is it called executive decision what a stupid thing i remember i don't how do i remember that i feel like i went to that movie on a date i think I that's love why it's stuck every time it's me. on i watch it okay last but not least yeah. i've got two more okay. i'm gonna they have the exact same title and the exact same premise they came out in the exact same year but they are different movies okay. i will so the, the question is die hard at the white house 2013 two movies came out within months of each other with this premise do you know either or both of them? Die Hard at the White House. One of them has spawned two sequels. Wasn't I? And they're both from 2013? Yep. No idea. The first one was called White House Down. It starred Channing Tatum. White the second down. one that has spawned two sequels is called Olympus Has Fallen. It stars you're, Gerard Butler. You're telling me there's a movie called Olympus Has Fallen and it's had two sequels. Yep. They're all called this, Olympus okay. something. Yep. This is why Gen X movies are better than millennial films because that just sucks. Anyway, you did very good. I was really worried that you weren't going to get many of them because they were 90s, but I figured most of them were pretty big movies. So mm -hmm. you did very well on them. You did better so. than I would expect. Yeah. yeah so I did so, Die Hard on a... Chris knows the answer. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so we announced the winner of our pop culture fantasy draft. Our, obviously, it was me. And we reviewed my movie pick from this year. So for our next time out, it's over to you, Derek, to pick a movie from 1988. What would you like us to watch and come back and discuss? Well, uh, if you recall, when we did our last draft, mm -hmm. I selected uh, Big Trouble in Little China, mm -hmm. and uh, which is a movie by John Carpenter. And it just so happens in 1988, John Carpenter had another movie come out called They Live. Oh, that's the one with Rowdy Roddy Rowdy Piper. Rowdy Roddy Piper and Keith David. Okay, so now, oh, so funny enough. So, I mean, I, I kind of liked, you know, John Carpenter over the years. And I was a big wrestling fan back around that time. But I've never seen this movie, believe it or not. I've never, never so seen this, this movie in its entirety. I've seen bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. I've seen some internet clips. But I know vaguely what it's about, and it has not been available easily for a long time, but I mm -hmm. noticed it just recently reappeared on one of the streamers. I can't remember if it's Crave or Netflix, but one of them has, it has just recently become available again, and I was had every intention of watching it, and when we hit the 1988 draft, I thought, perfect. I like Carpenter. I've heard great things about this movie. We're going to watch it. So right. for next week, go out and watch right. They Live, 1988 John Carpenter film. And uh, we'll come back next week and talk all about it. The only thing I, I know about it, and again, I've just seen clips or heard about it, is where he's like, I've come here to chew bubble gum. Kick ass and chew bubble gum. And I'm all and out I'm of bubble all gum. all out of bubble gum. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so I'll have to see. Okay, so I'm looking forward to that. Again, a movie from my generation that I haven't seen. Go figure. Yep. So that's Me perfect. Neither. So okay. this will be good. I mean, Love it may suck. This. We may both hate it, but who yeah. knows? We'll come back next week and figure it all out. All right. Well, until then... This is Chris McBrien on behalf of myself and Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Mm -hmm. 
Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Thank you.